Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? I'm excited to be here. If you want to know who I'm dressed like, it's, uh, it's Dave Gitchell. So, sorry, I don't have cardboard shorts on. We're good. Um, no, so let me go over a couple of things real quick. Uh, first and foremost, I want to say thank you for the generosity of this church. Um, we took up an offering a couple weeks ago to send to Relief. Um, there was a church down in Florida uh, that we were connected to. And we, raised, uh, we sent over $4,000 to assist them. So thank you guys so much for your heart, um, everybody's uh, willingness to give and to dig in to help those in need. So $4,000 is great. It's going to go a long way. The pastor has moved tremendously. So thank you. It's a great, great event. Um, so when we started talking about Family Day, uh, we, we wanted to do something different. Uh, and so, <laughs> check. Um, and so one of the things that we came up with was doing a kid's costume contest. And when I told uh, my kids, they were super excited about it. To which they said, well, what are you going to dress up as? And I said, it's a kid's costume contest. And then, as any dad knows that their daughter pulls on a heart string, you just... She goes, come on, Dad. We've got to do something. So uh, I, I, I got the brain trust together, and EJ and Thomas uh, decided to go up as a Napoleon Dynamite characters, and because they just killed it spot on, obviously. If you've seen the movie, you understand. Um, and then they told me to be Uncle Rico. Um, so here we are, and we are, <laughs> as you're Googling who Uncle Rico is, you'll figure it out as quickly as possible. Uh, we're going to continue our series. We're talking about not-so-spooky stories of the Holy Spirit, um, how God is moving in our world. Today. And uh, we're going to continue that vein today. Um, but today, we're going to be talking about something different um, when it comes to how, how I'm going to approach this, and it's through hinges. Uh, the Bible tells us to guard our hearts with all diligence, because out of it flows the issue of life. If we were to reword that, is guard your heart, protect your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows all of life's issues. The reality is, is that I can't control everything that's happening on the outside, but I sure can control what's getting into my soul. I sure can guard every aspect of my thought life, every fear, every concern, every disappointment, every offense. I can guard my heart. Because the reality is, is that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if you want to know where your heart is and the things that have been getting into your heart, just listen to how you're speaking. Is everything against you? Is everyone uh, uh, trying to hurt you? Are you constantly living with disappointment? How about this? Are you constantly talking about everything's going under? Are you living life full of fear because of the economy, because of politics, because of neighbors, because of work? What are you saying about your word, world tells me how you've been protecting what's going on in your heart? The Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, guides our footsteps. And let me say, for an analogy to say today, the Holy Spirit guides us on which doors need to be opened and which doors need to be closed. See, for me, when I go through it, doors grant access. They allow somebody to come in or out of something that has been guarded. See, your house has walls, it has windows, it has doors. And the reason is because you're keeping things out and you're protecting things that are on the inside. And a door will give me access or it will restrict access into your life. The house that I live in right now is an older home. And... Uh, it was quite evident that the builders of the house were, were small in stature. I know that, and Elaine's laughing, and Linda's laughing, because they've also lived in the house. Uh, when I got into the beautiful baby diarrhea green bathroom that was done in 1954, um, I stood in the shower, and it shut right here in my chest, because this is where the nozzle was for the shower head. I went, how small were these people? So, renovated the bathroom, got it to a normal adult height, 
Um, and one thing that I've noticed over the past few years, though, is that uh, the doors are small. I've never noticed doors. I'm not a contractor. I I've never dealt with these, but can I tell you, you notice the size of a door when you're trying to fit something in. You notice that, that when your elbow and your shoulders are touching either side of your, the door frame, that either A, it's time to lose weight, or B, it's a small door. Not too long ago, I picked up a treadmill, um, and it was a compact, portable treadmill that you're supposed to be sticking in your closet. Well, without music, put it back together, yada yada. I bought the treadmill, and I was excited because it was supposed to be um, in the academy of $800, but on Facebook, it was hundreds. Still of a deal. Until I got home and realized, even compact, I couldn't fit it into my door. I got it into one room, but that was it. So it's not sitting just in my living room because I couldn't get it into my bedroom. I couldn't, I couldn't physically get through the doors because the doors to get access were so small, something larger couldn't fit through. And if you've ever lived in a house like that, you understand the, the struggle it is to get big furniture or a refrigerator or a washer and dryer through something. Not too long ago, I was helping my fiance move into her house. And when I, I uh, was at the old house and moving things out, everything came out of these. New house, I, I don't know, I didn't measure the doors. So as we're carrying things in, I'm like, man, this is kind of tight fit getting some of the stuff in, but whatever. And it was all good until the couch came. The couch that was in the old house that we just lifted up, angled, walked right through. Well, this time, I, 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 with all the help that I had, we could not get the couch inside the house. We twisted, we bend, we did angles, we stood up, we took the cushions off. I, I squeezed really hard. I even went and took the hinges off the door. Nothing I did could get this couch through the door because the door frame was too small to allow something larger to come inside. And unfortunately for her, on the day she moved into the house, she had to get a new couch instead of the one she had. We were sitting in the front yard. We couldn't get it inside. And it's perplexing for me because I didn't think things through. And this is what's happening in a lot of times in our lives is that we're asking God to grant us a big thing, but our door frame is too small. Now, when I walk around and I go to different places, I see door frames. You don't do that unless you understand the struggle. When you walk in somebody like this beautiful house, you know what that couch would have fit right through that door. I know that because I experienced the pain of watching somebody go, what am I supposed to do? It's not working anymore. It doesn't matter how big your door is. One thing I've learned from watching my parents and one thing I've learned in my life is that big doors swing on little hinges. Most every door that you'll run into is either got two or three hinges and the hinges are typically, what, four or five inches in, in height and they're a very small component but without the hinge, your door isn't going to work. Go into a bank and you see a huge vault. Huge doors, heavy doors, you'll see in comparison, very small hinges that open and close the doors. In your life and in my life, you want big doors to be open. It's the small things that will open them. See, I'm always looking for God to do something big. And for God to do something big, I feel like I have to do something big. And that's not the case because God is looking for somebody who's willing to do the small details. And he is the one that will swing open the big doors. I don't do that. Small things, I go, it's not that important. I'll, I'll worry about that another time. I'll do that some other day. It's the big things. God, I'm looking for a miracle. God's looking at me going, just spend some time with me. Like, that's not right. God, I want big revelation. I want, I want to understand the deepness of the depths of your word. And I'm going to go and buy a bunch of theology and doctrinal books. And he's going, just read and I will do it. God, I want a family. I want community. I want all of these things. I'm, I'm going to generate a movement. God's going, just go to church. It's the, it's the small things 
that connect us to big groups. In our lives, I pray that God opens the doors. A lot of times, God's feeling of our hinges will fit the doors we want to open. I have this costume on, and as I said, Uncle Rico is from the movement of And the great thing about Uncle Rico is, Uncle Rico is a very sad character. He's a sad character because in high school, according to Uncle Rico, he was amazing at football. That people used to throw a football over the mountains. Uncle Rico, according to his story, was a high school star until the state championship game, and he dropped it in the pass, and and he dropped the pass that all of his friends left him and everyone hated him, so he dropped out of school. And now he's going to Rico in his 40s, living in a van in a field, talking about when he walked in high school. Here's the thing. In his mind, everybody turned against him, but it was the small things that led him to being homeless. Uh, I did some research recently on the differences between a Division II college basketball player and a Division I college basketball player. And you know what the number one difference is? An inch and a half. That's the difference. It's not that they're that much faster. It's not that they're that much stronger. It's usually just, just about that much difference that will separate these different levels of guys. How about this? When you're looking at the differences between a Power 5 football program and somebody else, notice that in the first in the first couple of quarters, they pretty much hang with each other. Isn't that a weird thing to watch something like an Alabama or an Auburn team? An Alabama or a Georgia, sorry, Auburn's getting beat by high school teams today. Um, an Alabama, sorry, an Alabama or, or Georgia or Florida, whoever it may be, and you see them play a team, you don't even know what state they're in. And for the first quarter, you're perplexed because it's 7-7. Seven, seven. The second quarter, you're like, it's 10-7. This is going to be a game. And then it seems like they, in our world, we go, they just woke up in the second half and started dominating. The truth is, that's not the case. A lot of the athletes that are on these other teams are just as strong, but definitely not small. You're seeing these guys in these other programs that are 6 eight. 300 pounds, these are huge sports. They're just as fast in a lot of ways. But listening to, the ES, listening to ESPN, when they were talking about the difference between these athletes, it's not the speed, it's not the size, and it's not the strength that separates them. What goes on is that the scouts are looking at their work ethic. Are you going to quit, or are you going to keep pushing through? Alabama and Tennessee, they have, and, and Georgia, they have these things called the fourth quarter program that's from, I think it's from February on uh, April. And the whole idea is, can we make you quit? I was reading this article in, in military.com today, yesterday, about Navy SEALs and listening to what they were talking about. And what he was saying to me was interesting. He said, we have these guys come to Bud's training that are 6'4", 6'5", college athletes. They're really huge, strong guys. And I'm watching them run up crying, ringing the bell to quit, while somebody else who's 5'8", 190 is still doing push-ups. He says, the idea is not can you do the work, but do you understand the word quit? See, it's the, it's the little things. And we have to have it confused. If I get bigger, if I get stronger, if I do all of these big, big things, then I will be strong enough to do those things. And the reality is, is most of the time, they're already strong enough physically but they haven't prepared the small things in between their ears that can open and close the door. Today we're talking about these hinges. Some doors open great opportunities. And if you've been in my shoes before, some doors open up great calamities. It's the small things that will open God doors or painful doors. Ever open up a painful door with your actions, with your choices, with your hinges, whatever it is. You begin doing something, and all of a sudden, you're like, I regret that one. You can say no, then you've never decided to lease a new car. It made a lot of sense on, on a dealership, but then all of a sudden, you're like, 
when I turn this in, I'm going to owe $8,000? I don't have $8,000. I've got to redo it again? I've made, when it comes to so many horrible financial decisions in the first five years of, of being an adult, it was incredible. And financing a new car, to trying to buy a new car, so feeling like I needed to live to a lifestyle with my parents when I made a fraction of what they made. But you know what? I identified as rich. And I expect <laughs> I, I expected everyone who has credit to like, respect my identification. Um, you know what's crazy? They wouldn't. So, what is this? Some of y'all get that later on. Alright, so most doors have hinges, and today we're talking about uh, three hinges on our lives that will swing open God's doors or painful doors. One door, one of our hinges that opened up painful, painful moments is the hinge called comparison. In Genesis, we see that God created us. That God created Adam and Eve with everything they could possibly need, but they've lived their lives now in a comparison trap. They've lived their lives forgetting that they were created in God's image. And they got caught up looking for something else. It's us falling, falling short. And in our viewpoints of ourselves and our viewpoints of where we are in life, we, we're looking at other people and where they are in our and we're comparing ourselves to them, deciding that God made us wrong. That we were a mistake. That on the assembly line, when every angel was checking, looking for defects, I snuck on through, but I don't have what they have. I don't sing like they sing. I don't speak like they speak. I'm not tall enough. I'm too tall. I'm not strong enough. I'm too big. I'm, whatever it is, we go through all of these comparisons. And as a culture, we found ourselves that falling short in comparison to everyone else has become an acceptable norm. Because if I find myself in comparison, one of two things will typically happen. I will destroy what God created. Or, or, I will do my best to destroy the man. Our measuring sticks for comparison has become fake and un unreachable. The standard that the world has set up that we can't even live up to. And we get on Instagram and we think those are the vacations that I have to go on. We're told what our bodies are supposed to look like. We're told the products that we need. I was on the phone yesterday, on the phone, and somebody mentioned the word Peloton. This morning I woke up, you need a Peloton. That was on my Instagram. Right? Then I was like, two thousand dollars? I don't need a Peloton. That's a hinge. <laughs> Can I tell you this? What's crazy about society is they tell us what kind of parent We're told what gifts are acceptable. What meals we're supposed to create. And then we're supposed to do this by keeping the process going so we can spend three hours trying to cook this meal that we saw on TikTok and Instagram. And it looked easy and it looked great and that's what we're supposed to do. And, and we're, we're, we're stressing, we're making, we're doing our things. And our kids are like, hey, can we play? We're like, no, go away! I'm trying to make dinner for us. And the kids are scared and they run away. And our spouse walks in and they put their finger in something like, what are you doing? Stop, go away! And then all of a sudden, we're, we're doing our best to take, now we've got to make it official because we've got to photo of it, and we've got to get the lighting correct, and then we need a hashtag, do it together. And everyone's like, man, can I just do that together? I wonder if I can do that together. They don't see the stress you went through three hours. They don't see the physical and emotional trauma to break. He's got a black guy now, and she's photoshopping it in. Like, no, they don't see all of those things. And I think you have to release yourself to understand that life on your phone is always filtered. It's always filtered. Nine times out of ten, we don't post the low moments of our lives. We don't video our house when it's a wreck. We're like, Ooh, it's a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we don't. We're not doing that. 
We walked through and we're like, oh yeah. And we just like, after we spent eight hours staying in our house, we just happened to put our room in the background and, and we're just walking through and we're like, mm, that's a really nice whatever. Yeah, can I tell you, that's not normal. If you ever see my house online looking thick and span, it just happened. Just then. And I know I've got two tornadoes on their way and they're going to wreck it. And I'm enjoying the moment while I can. But one thing that I've realized is that as we compare, we're not realizing what we're comparing ourselves to. We're comparing ourselves to things. We're comparing ourselves to things that aren't real. We've taken everyone else's high moments and made it in our heads think that that's their average moments. And when that's not our average moment, we think we have something wrong. And now we have to jump through hoops and we get stressed and we get in debt and we get into arguments and we're doing all of these things because one thing is happening and we're comparing ourselves to a standard you were never meant to compare yourself to. Do you know why they want you to compare yourself? You ever think about that? It's power. Because if I can get you to compare yourself to me, and I'm always better, I will get you to jump through whatever magic hoops that I set out for you to give me more power to buy my product. It's the, you want to lose 20 pounds, drink this powder, it'll happen in 24 hours. It's not real. Like, I need y'all to understand, that's not real. Losing 20 pounds in, jeez, in two weeks is not healthy. I don't care what the person does. I put this powder in my drink and my belly went from the at a 48 to a 32. I woke up overnight. That's not real. There's a thing for all you don't understand called Photoshop. And what you can do really, really easy now is take my face and put it on somebody else's body. And I'm like, look how great I look. That's not them. They're still the fat guy in the basement. But now they're the rich fat guy because all these people are buying their products. You're stuck living a life that's fake, chasing after a mirage. There's no tangibleness to what we're seeing in the world. Because the moment you get close to it, it shifts. I watched for uh, my childhood and growing up, uh, the, the, to, to be the, 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 the body that we all needed. It was, you had to be, you had to show your bones and your ribs and everything. Yeah, like, you had to be a super, super skinny. A good gust of wind's going to blow a woman over. And you watch all these women starve themselves trying to get there. And then all of a sudden it shifted because everyone started getting there to, I need to respect my body. And now everyone's like, okay, well, I guess we need to add some weight. And now all of a sudden it's going back. Everything is shifting, people. You can't attain it. It's a mirage. The moment you start getting a lot of great things and you start gaining wealth, you know what you are now? An evil one percenter. Think about that. The struggle, the struggle. You need this, you need this, you need this. I'm getting up. Now you're evil. Oh, I, I was broken and in pain. You said I needed this. Well, I changed my mind. Five steps to get rid of your evils. Find my goal. This is the most bizarre culture we've ever lived in. I wish I could say it's bipolar. I think it's like quadpolar. I'm not quite sure where we are in society. Living a life of comparison doesn't just happen out there, it happens in here. I need to worship Nietzsche, I need to pray like you want, I need to jump up and down like Linda, I need to, to, to do all of these things. How about this? How about we stop looking at the person next to us and just have a conversation with them? Just have that conversation, Holy Spirit. I'm done comparing myself spiritually, physically, mentally, financially, emotionally with everyone else. God, what do you want from me? Because for you to compare yourself to the you have to go through what you want. Don't want that. She said that. You know what's crazy? Is, is, is if you see these things from people, like in Miss Atlanta, in she understands the process that her life has gone through with her. And the most bizarre thing is she wouldn't wish that on anybody. <laughs> and you're like, I just gotta be like the language. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. Can I tell you, God created you to be you. 
very specific. He, he created one of them on purpose, for purpose. If he needed eight limbs, he would have made eight limbs. He doesn't need them. He doesn't need me to be like the preacher down the street, the piano player at a different church. He doesn't need to be, me to be like the dad down the road or somebody on Instagram or Facebook. You know what he needs? He needs he to wake up every day and go, Holy Spirit, talk to me about me. What do I need to do today? What are the small steps I need to do today? Not the big things. Every day is not going to be a David and Goliath moment. You know what most of David's life was? Sheep. Um, it was an everyday process of wake up in the early in the morning, take care of the sheep. Who are the small things in David's life that led him to the people? The second hinge in our lives that totally messes us up is the hinge of fear. See, it's not the fear that we can't, we already know we're inadequate. If anybody here thinks I rock at everything I do, cool. I don't think that's the case. The vast majority of us know that the hinge of, of fear is not that I'm inadequate. You know what it is? True fear is that God is inadequate. Real living a life of fear is that I have messed up so big that God can't do it. I have my problems that are so big, even God can't touch them. My issues are so great that God cannot move. See, the spirit of fear that Paul is coming up against in 2 Timothy is not the fact that Timothy sees his weaknesses. Timothy knows his weaknesses. You don't ignore them. But at one point in your life, you've got to look and go, I am weak, but in him, I am strong. Easy example for this. Run out on the street. What happens if you just like that? Anybody? Hold? Two fingers? Yeah. Yeah. You're a speed bump. But you know what's crazy? What happens if you're driving an F-350 and you get hit by a Toyota Corolla? Anybody? Probably not much. Because in that truck, you're strong. You're still you, but in that, you're protected. Outside of that, you're roadkill. Inside of that, you're strong. Outside of God, you are weak. Inside of who he is, you are stronger than you could possibly ever imagine. Outside of that, yeah, life is going to be horrible. Inside of who he is, you have purpose and, and, and there's a plan in your life. Outside of that, you're hopelessly just getting tossed by the wind. Inside of that, I am confident in who I am in him. The third thing that we deal with that opens up doors that are painful is pride. See, pride typically isn't that I am so great. Pride isn't always the fact that I am so perfect. You know what pride does a lot of times? I know I'm messed up. I know I've got problems, but I'm not going to get help. And what happens is, is that we're standing here at a door that God's trying to open and we're holding it shut. We're holding it shut, our backs against the door, because I don't want to lean in. I don't want to ask for help. I don't want to look at my brother and my sister to say, hey, this is a problem in my life. Can you be my accountability partner? Can you, can you help me with that? See, God is not looking for everybody to have their junk all over the place, but you know what has to happen in our lives is that when we find out that we're weak, the issues aren't that we need to fix that weakness. It's that typically God has assigned somebody to help. Living life alone is a life of the We've always thought pride is this haughtiness, greatness. Saul dealt with pride. Saul had a huge issue with pride. But Saul also had a huge issue with being left. I'm the smallest of the tribe. My tribe is the smallest. My family is the smallest in the tribe. He had such an inferiority complex, he felt like he had to outdo it. I don't need that. I don't need to wait for Samuel. I don't need to wait on God. I'm going I'm to I'm make this 
when I make something happen, I am full. But there are three things. Three things. Three great hinges that open God's hands in our lives. It's found in Daniel chapter 2. Look at God's open hands in our lives. Unbelievable. Daniel chapter 3. In the Bible, if you're looking for a hinge word in the Bible, it's a three letter word. The hinge words in, our, in the Bible are telling us there's an issue, there's a problem, there is an, an answer, there's a whatever, and then there's a but that will determine whether or not the door opens or closes. And Daniel chapter 2, you can go ahead and throw it up on the screen for me. You see, uh, the children of Israel had already been uh, taken captive, and it says this Nebuchadnezzar the king made a gold image whose height was 60 cubits, and its width was 60 cubits, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the, the, the satraps and the, and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, the lawyers, and the chief officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that the king made for himself. Then the, the satraps, the, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, and the magistrates, the lawyers, and all the chief officials of all the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that the king made. Stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and speakers of every language, that at the moment that you hear the, ha- the, the sound from the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the, the dulcimer, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that the King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whosoever does not fall down and worship, shall immediately be thrown into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. So when the people heard the sounds of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the dulcimer, the pipe, and all kinds of music of all the peoples of every nation, the speakers of every language, fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. At the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought malicious accusations against the Jews. They said, O king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live Forever, you, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sounds of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the, the dragon, the harp, the dulcimer, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. Whosoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into the midst of the furnace, blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration in the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, Pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, gave a command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all these men brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Verse 15. Now, if you are ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the, whole, the harp, the dulcimer, and all the kinds of music to fall down and worship the image which I have made very good. Here's the key word. But if you do not worship, you shall be thrown at once into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there that can rescue you out of my hands? Here's a, here's a hinge. He gives an opportunity that you can do this, but if you don't, this will take place. See, this is where we are in our lives, is that the world is constantly giving you a hinge option. It's the but of your life. Like right now, the American church is shrinking. That's a fact. Christianity is declining. That's a fact. The passion for God is lowering. That's a fact. The, the role of fathers, husbands, men is declining. That's a fact. The hinge in your life is will you add the word but behind each one of those phrases? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O King Nebuchadnezzar, 
We do not need to answer you on this point. Verse 17 says this. It says, if it be so, verse 17, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to rescue us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he will rescue us from your, king, your hand, O king. Verse 18, next hinge. But even if he doesn't, let it be known, O king, we're not going to worship your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. The story goes, Nebuchadnezzar's in a rage of fury, tells them to heat it up even hotter, as if it wasn't hot enough. Binds them up. I think that's funny, that he would bind them up when he's throwing them in a fire, as if having loose hands and feet was going to protect them in any way. He binds them up and he tosses them in. The fire is so hot that the men who opened their furnace get consumed by the flames. Nebuchadnezzar looks into the flames and says, I thought we threw three men in there. And he goes, we did, O king. Well, then why are there four? And the fourth looks like the son of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out. They didn't even smell like smoke. The king falls before his face. See, in life, to have big doors able is you have three hinges. See, the, the doors that close in your face are about you. My comparison, it's my fears, it's my pride. The doors that open up, he is able, he is willing, and it's his time. What we have to realize is that once our hinges are about me, everything hinges on me, and I am a faulty hinge. When everything hinges on who he is, it's his power. It's his ability. It's who he is. And everything hinges on his goodness. See, the first thing we have to go to is, is he able? Is he able to do the impossible? Is he able to do the incredible? Is it his will to do the impossible and to do the incredible? Is it in his timing that we go through in life? I stated that the American church is shrinking, and I, and I stated that the idea that we're walking through right now of, uh, of the, the passion for God is dying, and I stated the fact that roles for husbands and fathers, for men in general, is declining. My question for you is, is there going to be a but? Is there going to be something that you see in your life that will say, but I will? But God is able. But it is His will. Hmm. See, we don't need to have men, good men, do something great. To have evil stopped. All, all, all you need for evil to prevail in this world is for good men just to sit by and do nothing. Can I tell you the action of inaction is still an action? Sitting by and watching everything else happen is still an action move. Sitting on your couch complaining about what you're seeing on television, sitting on the couch complaining about what you're hearing on the radio, what you're seeing on Twitter, what you're seeing uh, what's going on across the world and go, oof, I can't believe this world's doing this. Just sitting there doing that is still an action. Can I tell you, God, if you read his word and you read the stories that we talk about, God doesn't need an army of a million men to make a change in America. He needs you. He just needs you. He needs one family to stand up and say, but. I see that, but. See, when we deal with issues in this life, and we are a church that believes that God still heals, we believe that God didn't retire. He's not living in Boca Raton. He's, he's still active on this earth. And we, we see somebody come through and go, Pastor, I was diagnosed with cancer. It's not like we go, no, you weren't. It's fakes, fake news. You don't have cancer. It's the but. You were diagnosed with cancer. But it's by his stripes that you're healed. And, <laughs> I'm already in trouble for wearing an outfit. The, the problem that we run into is that you just got to have a bigger butt. Hashtag peach struggles. 
<laughs> because in my life and your life, if my argument against something is equal, I'm going to lose. My argument against something has to be bigger than the original argument. Cancer is here. God is here. Huh. Sickness is here, but God is here. The, the, the attack that's happening right now on a, on a society right now that's going on is first and foremost this, to destroy any nation, to destroy any society. I don't know how we haven't figured this out yet. It's to take away who a man is. This isn't a soapbox. This is facts. Once we isolate and say that a, that a dad is no longer a dad, that a husband is no longer a man, that, that, a, that, a, that all of these things that are going on in our world that's breaking everything down <laughs> is creating so much chaos in our world. It's destroying the fabric of society. Can I, can I say this? It's okay that you're a good man. That's nothing to be ashamed about. Like, there, there's nothing wrong with you leading your household in the ways of God. There's nothing with wrong with you standing up and going, no, this is what God's word says, and this is what we're going to do. But Pete, you're going to offend somebody. Yeah. But at what point in our world do we realize that we should be offended as well? And that my offense should take some action. My action is not to grab a firearm and go to hurt anybody, but my action is to stand up for what God is. And, and can I tell you what's going to happen in our world is we're going to find a spot in our world where we're going to look and go, as Elisha did, put your gods up against my God, and we'll see who answers with fire. But as long as the church is teeter-totter in a way and trying to blend with both groups, you're not going to have the boldness to stand up and go, this is my God and this is what he says. Standing up for who you are and how God created you and your belief system is not an evil thing. I don't care what anybody says. And in the time of Daniel, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they outlawed God. Y'all notice that, right? That, 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 what we just read, is an outlaw of their faith. And three young men said no. They said no. Three. All the peoples of all the languages, of all the authorities, all came. Three. Can I tell you, Babylon at that season wasn't five. In fact, the hist historians will tell us that when the Babylonian army would march, the earth would shake. That's a lot of people. Three. Not three million. Not 300,000. Three. Millions of people. They put it into that spot so it could host the most people surrounding this thing. Everybody bows down but three. Three people said, my faith is worth being made fun of. Three people said, my beliefs are worth dying for. But I think that's the problem that I found ourselves into is that we haven't found anything that we really believe in that's worth dying for these days. See, it's great to talk about God's movement, but when it happens and we get made fun of, oh my gosh, somebody's going to make a post about our church because we believe in something or we do something crazy, they believe in, the, in miracles. Well, I'm gonna, I can't do that. Now. Hey, Pastor Pete, I've got some guests coming in today. Can you kind of tone it down a little bit? When they're gone, hype it up. I just, I just don't want to be embarrassed in front of my friends. How, how are, is our, our faith pressure point embarrassment? Is your faith pressure point if you believe that you lose your job? Is your faith pressure point if you believe this, then you, you'll be ridiculed by your family? Is your faith pressure point that you're going to lose a raise? Is your faith pressure point that you're going to lose access to a, a scholarship? Is your faith pressure? At what point? Because their faith pressure point was beyond death. Take my job. Take my titles. 
Take my family. Take everything. Take my life. I am not going to bow. Three people. And until we get to a spot in our lives that what we believe is worth death, you're not going to have the hinges that we want open. Because if we cower in fear at the first sign of ridicule, why would God open a big door? God, we need revival. You know what happens when you have revival? Everybody hates you. I'm not making this up. I'm a student of church history. You know what happens when something starts happening at New Life? How about this? You ready for this? If a thousand people come into our church and get saved in the next six months, that's a good thing, right? Except for everybody else. They're brainwashing those people. They don't teach faith. They don't teach the word. They're seeker friendly. They, you become ridiculed because you don't do what they do. And what they're doing, can I tell you this, guys? What the, the world is doing, not church, the world is doing, doesn't work. So why do we care what they think? Like, at what point do we realize, hey, they're doing something that's failing. Let's do something different. We have this idea that we, we are crabs in a bucket that a, a fisherman catch. And, you know, if you put, uh, if you go crabbing down on, on, on the piers, you grab these crabs, you throw them in a big homer, five-gallon bucket, and you don't put a lid on it. You don't have to because a crab can't handle another crab standing on top of it because they constantly knock their legs down. Then he gets on top. They knock their legs down. They just roll over and over and over and over again. And this is what our society is doing is that we can't handle somebody succeeding, we'll knock them down. But when you don't care anymore what they say, it's dangerous. Love him or hate him. You should love everybody. Agree with him or totally disagree with him. It's totally your political beliefs. You know what made Donald Trump crazy. He wasn't controllable. That's, that was the fear that they had and still have. Can you imagine somebody who had that confidence but did everything God's way? Not a political stance. I'm just saying, if you had that kind of boldness of, forget them, this is what God says, and had the power to back it up, Imagine what the world would look like. Well, they're going to make fun of me. Yeah, they will. But Jesus had a plan for this. He said, bless those who persecute you, who ridicule you for my name's sake. You're, you're going to be okay. But as long as our, our pressure points are small, your door frames are going to be small. And this is what the church world has found themselves into. God we want big things as long as we don't embarrass ourselves or our friends or our neighbors. Let us just blend into the world. Let us just let's just be average, but great. We want big things, but don't want to offend anybody. We want to see you move in love and passion, but we can't ever talk about sin. We want to see you have all of these great miracles, but then we can't say that they're miracles because somebody doesn't believe in miracles. And we need your Holy Spirit or power or God, grace, whatever his name is that's not offensive, we want him to come in too. And what's happening is, is that we find ourselves stuck into small hinges because we're afraid to expand. Have you ever done a remodel? Anybody? Have you ever done a remodel and not had destruction? Have you ever had a, have you had a remodel and not had a mess? Like when you're cutting out new door frames, you're not following up with the shop back so there's no dust. Expanding who you are in the, in, through God's grace is a messy process for the world. And they don't like the mess. 
They don't like to see you expand. They don't want to see you grow. They convince you to stay small. What would happen if a church of 50 people, how about this? That's a downgrade. What would happen if three people, just three, it's worth dying for. I'll give it to my all. I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to read that. I'm not going to cower down with my faith. I don't care what you think works. I know what God says. Because three people back then, just three, without unbelievable amounts of technology, they just stood. They didn't speak. They didn't preach. They didn't have a megaphone. You're sinners. They just stood and had one conversation with one man who took an entire kingdom from worshiping his idol to the king himself falling before him going, what they say is true. Three people. Just three. Today is family day. What would happen if three families decided to be families? The three men who've been passive decided to be men. Three moms, instead of worrying about what's the new trend and offending anybody, worried about what's going on with their kids' lives. Three kids who aren't caught up, three teenagers who aren't caught up with everything that's trending right now and worried about who of my friends are going to die and go to hell. What if it was just three? What would your world look like today if you were one of those three? One of the three that would say no more. One of the three that say I will. One of the three that said I care. What if you were one of those three that became bold enough to stand up and say, I see it, but through God's grace, I will change. But through God's grace, I will make a move your world will be dramatically different. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for today. I thank you that you've graced us with your presence. We never take it for granted. I thank you that today is the day you've made. Through pain, through, through struggle, through ridicule, whatever it is that has gone on in people's lives to cause us to cower down, to, to back up, to be numb. God, I just thank you that today is a day for great breakthrough to wake up into what you called us to be and called us to do. Jesus, I just thank you that you are going to be continue to shift us, open our eyes, open our ears. God, cause passion to arise, a, a step in the right direction today, even if it's three. Just like Joshua said, but for me and my house, we will. God, I just thank you that there's going to be some men and some women that say, we will. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.